0: strong foundation pillars of of values and of morality and that's the hardest part for me
1: Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 92, Ashley Smith O'Meara. This is part two of my conversation with Ashley Smith um, O'Meara, part two of a four-part series. We managed to talk for four hours when she came over a while back, and uh... I got a lot out of it. I hope you get something out of it. I I mean, I just enjoy talking to her. She's a very smart person. She doesn't fit neatly in any kind of box, has had a lot of different experiences, and she listens, and she genuinely seems to respect others, even people with differing viewpoints. And at the time that we did this, I was really needing to talk to somebody like that because I was getting bowled over with the monolithic – Uh, righteousness of people out uh, wrecking cities all over the country in the name of, uh, I think, some very vague things. They say it's about one thing, but, you know, there are other ways to handle it. It just seemed like a giant tantrum to me. But um, I felt very threatened by it. And not so much, I mean, it it wasn't affecting me directly, but uh, the idea that this sort of gossamer-thin, agreement that we operate under that keeps us even to the degree of civilized that we are um, that was coming apart and I think that's probably one of my most primal fears is just you know that kind of chaos you know um, so I don't know things have it's been a while since we recorded this conversation and things have calmed down a lot I mean I don't know we're in, we're heading up to the election here um, we're about a two, three weeks out from it, and um, I guess f- folks have cooled their jets enough to uh, say, all right, let me let me try this democratic process, and then if we don't get our way, then we're going to burn it all down. It's a, you know, it's a fucking paradox. Paradoxical shit. Um, you know, I'm of the mind. Look, I say this over and over again. We behave according to the law, and we don't go out in the street and burn shit down and rip down public property because we don't want the bad guys to do that. You know the good guys have to have respect for the law, even if the bad guys don't. Otherwise, just the whole fucking thing keeps coming back and forth and g- coming apart. And at least this is my opinion. I mean, I'm not a fucking authority. I've never been through a time period like this, but that's why I conform to the rules and the laws and the standards that we have set that have been set forth by others, not me. Um, because i recognize the balance that we have and i recognize the fact that i don't have rights i have privileges as george carlin said Um, no human being comes into this world with rights they have been granted to us by the state (laughs) united states of america Um, the idea of rights the idea of these particular rights were formed here some of some versions of them have existed before in other governments but the you know the education and the knowledge that we have to hate on this shit we got it here you know we have a hard time living up to these values but we learn these values here these values were formed here, um, so you know I just kind of um, I've come to appreciate what we have I've come to appreciate the fact that in the raw in the wild in many existing governments these days, you don't have any fucking rights. I mean, you can fly into the wrong fucking country and everything that you take for granted as being yours is taken away from you. So, you know, this, and I I got, uh, I initially was sort of exposed to this idea by Yuval Harari in his book Sapiens, where, you know, if a person is not a citizen of the United States, they don't have the rights of a United States citizen. But we do have international human rights. But again, all of those things are a human construct. And if we don't respect... The human constructs we have that work, then we're not going to be able to get at the human const. We can't improve them, you know. If we just say, "Well, I don't like it, and I'm not going along with it. I'm going to do whatever I feel is right," the whole fucking thing comes crashing down around our ears. And uh, you know, I'm fifty. I'm fifty fucking years old, and I'm and I'm I'm, I'm I'm trying to keep up with what's going on in the world today. Keep up with the kids. But I've also had the experience of trying it both ways. I've tried the whole middle finger at the establishment, middle finger at capitalism, middle finger at working for a living and caring about money and property. And that got me, like, absolutely nowhere. And capitalism just kept going along just fine. And then around the age of 40, I said, okay, look, I've been doing it this way for a long time. This shit ain't working out. And I started my life over again with an $8.50 an hour job as a cashier. And I decided to take that job seriously, even though, yeah, I guess you could say I was being exploited. I could I decided to look at it like people were giving me the opportunity to make, you know, do something and give me a a fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth chance. And so I took the job seriously and I worked my way up and worked my way up and worked my way up. And now I find that, wow, that glass ceiling, I thought that was there, that limitation that I thought was there, that was all in my mind. Somebody said to me at one point, you know, the people that are doing better than you materially, they don't have your money. They didn't get your money. They got their money. Go get your money. And, you know, um, all I can say, beliefs aside, that has been my experience that if I prioritize – taking care of business taking care of myself pr- you know pers- you know tr- spending my money properly investing my money saving my money buying a house you know building these modest holdings i really can you can make progress on it and i really don't care if i make the same progress as the people living in windsor farms or the same progress that my grandfather did but i do feel that i'm making the same progress that my father made My own father bought a house. He was making about the same money adjusted for inflation that I am now. And he bought a house that was the same um, proportion to his income um, three times what he was making a year that I just did. I was able to do that. I had to pick a neighborhood where I could afford to buy a house that was three times my annual salary. Um, I, I didn't get to live in the neighborhood of my choice, but society doesn't owe me that. You know, I don't I'm not guaranteed to live in fucking Churchill or live in the fan can't afford that. So I live in Montrose Heights where I and I, I have a really nice thing going out here. I'm happy with it. So, I mean, this I I, I I hear people complaining about how they can't afford, they can't buy a house where they want to. Well, that I mean, that's just really tough shit. It's not. No one owes you that you're not owed that. None of us are owed anything. I mean, we're all we all are just lucky to be here. And I, I just don't find any benefit in comparing myself to other people. I I have experienced happiness making eight fifty an hour as a forty year old man living in a house with two other guys. When I, when I expanded and adapted, and stopped looking at other people for, you know, the measure of my happiness and started looking at eternal kind of timeless things, I found that you know, yeah. Capitalism does things to you. Marketing does things to you. But you are able to disavow that shit. You are able to put it in its fucking place. You are able to put down the social media. You are able to ignore the advertising. You are able to make your own way in this world. And this is still a free enough society to do that. I don't give a fuck who you are, what color you are, what sex you are. I just don't give a fuck about these, these complaints and these gripes and this constant victimhood. And... And it's not because of any fucking advantages I have. I just worked my way up in the last 10 years from 8.50 an hour. All right, if I c- And I did it without any fucking special intelligence or special skills. It was just work. I just did the job they put in front of me, and I learned their job, and I got good at it. And they recognized that I was good at it, and they recognized I was good at talking. So they put me in a position to talk on their behalf. And um, I don't know, man. I'm all right with fucking capitalism. <laughs> I, I think that I don't I don't b- think fairness comes into this. My mother said to me when I was a kid, who promised you life was going to be fair? People lived. My grandparents lived on a fucking farm and like, you know, they got a bad crops and shit. They might have fucking starved. You know, they didn't have anything to fall back on. They didn't have welfare. They didn't have any, you know, it was them. It was nothing between them and fucking starvation if shit didn't work out. And the Army of Northern Virginia marched through their land. And the and the fucking Union troops marched through their land and burnt their shit down and whatever. And they came back from that. And they did not have e- even high school educations. And I'm here today because they fucking worked hard and succeeded with what they had. So... You know, I I, I believe I'm a, a, a social liberal. I believe in the I believe in liberal humanism, but I recognize that that's a belief and beliefs are only as good as the people who believe in them and the people who put that shit into practice. None of it is has an existence like as far as science goes, none of it can actually be pointed to as an objective reality, you know we believe in things and therefore they exist i believe in liberal humanism but i also recognize that i am that we're all privileged to have those concepts in front of us to be so outraged when they're not evident or apparent or available to everyone and we should all i believe <laughs> that we should all keep working to you know improve the lives of our fellows but that still is a belief it's not a guarantee and it is not anyone's responsibility if it, it, nobody has to do it should be grateful that anybody gives a fuck at all should be grateful that you have rights you should be grateful that capitalism has created a society where you don't have to dig in the motherfucking dirt and that you could survive even if you're a terrible specimen of a human being as far as how human beings had to survive I mean you could be fucking Stephen Hawking where you can't even you can't do anything for yourself and you can still contribute to our society you could still make a living because of capitalism, because of the technology that has been created through that drive, you know, to get better. And, you know, I laugh when I see, you know, sort of revolutionary kids that I know who or don't want to work somewhere because they'd have to pull tips. And that is the actual ab- absolute essence of socialism there, I- that you everyone gets to, you know, kind of benefit from the overall Work And the other people have to keep, if there are weak links in that restaurant that don't earn as much tips, then the other people need to compensate for that so that everyone's responsible for the experience that the diner has. And tips exist because when you're a waiter, you're a salesperson, okay? And the more money that you are able to get the customer to spend, the more money you make. So you're incentivized. That's why you start with very little money. And you mostly earn tips because you're a salesperson and you're working on commission. And the, and if you fuck off, you ain't going to make no money. And I don't want to live in a society where the people who fuck off make the same amount of money as the people who are good at what they do and work hard. I'm sorry. I just don't. It's n- That's bullshit. <laughs> Forget fair. It's just ridiculous. It's not going to happen. So, um, all right. That's my rant for today. Let's get into this second hour of Ashley Smith O'Mara. Motherfuckers
0: me right now is seeing society try to dictate that in so many ways that are not genuine if you will you know um i don't know like does somebody how how do you learn not to steal how how do you learn to love your neighbor how you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. these are things that that sure they're important but is that really the pillar no i think the pillar is we're all connected. We're all—if I succeed, you succeed. Right. You know, so it goes deeper than that. It's not just this, like, you know. I hate to bring in the Bible, but it's not just your 12 commandments and don't hate done, to. Let's talk. Know, to, it's so no problem to talk <laughs> about the
1: Bible. I mean, that is human wisdom. You know that people are trying to get at something. You know, and I think that um, I don't. I don't experience it as magic or dogma. Or well, maybe I'm starting to see it as magic in the, in, in the form of intention. You know, but not dogma, not a set of things you do so you can get what you want, which is to go to heaven, you know, but like guidelines to like your life can be heavenly if you operate from this kind these kinds of principles, you know, and.
0: I just, if I could say something, I just feel <laughs> as though those those twelve commandments or whatever lesson you ten, can, ten. see, I don't <laughs> even know how many there are anymore. <laughs> sorry, sorry to my upbringing, but well, um, there are
1: two more: is don't snitch and uh, <laughs> bros before hoes. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hell yeah! <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, with that said, um, I guess what I what I was really thinking though is that I don't think it goes deep enough. You know, they're not uh, they're very kind of simplistic and and just like they're just
1: they're just like uh, directions, you know, the rest. It's a recipe. okay? And that's how I also see the the 12 steps. It's (laughs) like you've got to.
0: I don't even know how many commandments that there are anymore. I think that's awesome. That's That's hilarious. And I was raised in the church. And I want (laughs) to get to this, too,
1: how you're Ashley Smith O'Mara and O'Mara looks like a very Irish name. And and you look like a little bit of everything, uh, you know, a human um, buffet of (laughs) of (laughs) genes.
0: But am I human?
1: (laughs) Most human, yeah, more more human than human. That is our motto. That's from Blade Runner. Um,
0: Well, there is one more last name that's not in in that mix, um, and it's funny because you know. My mom's Mexican, and I ended up with the name Ashley. I think my mom was in the states, maybe. Which is right
1: up there with Karen. Yeah. Like being an Ashley.
0: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, like every other person born in my year was Ashley, right? So, but I'm I'm Ashley, and actually, ironically, my family in Mexico can't pronounce Ashley. They call me As, Asle. I am Asle. So my abuela would call me As. Hey As, ven acá, ven acá As, and I'm like, Mom, why is why is she calling me? us you know growing up and then it's funny because then Sophie got to experience this with me one time we did uh, uh I guess like a three-week stay in Mexico stay at this Airbnb and the lady that hosted us was so sweet and she wrote me a letter and wrote my name A-S-S-L-E-Y and I was <laughs> like see it wasn't just my youth it's now even in my adulthood but um <laughs> I say all that because my mom really wanted to assimilate mm-hmm. you know America was the great frontier None, right. of no one in her family had been here but she heard all of the North America. Yeah. Los <laughs> right? Estados Unidos, you know, yeah. the United States. This was the place to come for, for peace and freedom and unity and prosperity and it's like, you know, our PR machine has been highly effective. We talk about advertising good job USA, advertising yourself all around the world as the brother's keeper, the the peaceful, you know, prosperous entity that Mm -hmm. that you know they like to present themselves to be so yeah she came here i got this lovely very uh generic name ashley lynn smith i graduated college with another ashley lynn smith thank you parents (laughs) um but i'm not i'm not going to mention my my mexican name here on the record just for you know Private's oh, reasonings. Yeah. Um, it's kind of been a blessing and a curse. Like growing up, it was such a pain to have three last names. Um, so the Omira comes from my stepdad, who became my father figure at age three, and who I considered my father. So it, it always seemed natural to have his name attached, right? So right. the hyphenated Smith hyphen Omira. But then I have my my Latino last name, my Mexican last name. And I've come to, like, really appreciate that I seldom used it because now it's now yours. I, you know, that's my my legal last name is the Latino side, too. Oh, really? But I didn't, I wasn't raised to use it. And so, you know, I, I mean, I was even fined. So like, Smith O'Mara
1: is a kind of an alias? That's your. Yeah, uh,
0: but it wasn't even an intentional alias. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was fined when I was. 16 years old, I was fined by the IRS for not having my last names match up, and I remember being so pissed at my dad, like, dad, you're supposed to walk me through this, and what do you mean it's not my legal last name? Like, I'm so confused, like, I felt like I got set up, but you know what, I just left it like that, and and kept on moving, I mean, it's, it's cost me some money and some headache from time to time, but like, overall, like, you know, I can go... Call out all the bigots and racists on Facebook with my Smith O'Meara last name right. and know that they're not going to find me. So <laughs> <laughs> I find solace in that. I think um, most of those people are way too lazy
1: <laughs> to do anything other than.
0: There's there's some crazies out there, though. So I'd rather err on the side of chance, being yeah. safe than sorry. Absolutely. You know, so. err
1: on the side of caution.
0: Absolutely. For
1: sure. Yeah we're already in an hour here. Mm. So. So what is like you know I when I met you at Libby's house, sure. I immediately saw that you you looked like what I knew like one of the earliest like pre-Columbian civilizations I learned about was the Mayans, Ayy. you know, and I was like you look like a Mayan princess <laughs> or something, so and then you yeah. like so you have so even in your Mexican identity, you have an indigenous people mm-hmm. that was colonized by Spanish Europeans, insane and history, yeah, yeah, and our yeah. mix of that. Yeah,
0: no, it's it's very strong and
1: Colonize is Such a nice way of putting yeah. it. It's really <laughs> more like a genocide. Seriously,
0: <laughs> ironically, our neighbors who uh, who are frat college kids and have been just the biggest pain in the ass neighbors. This we've is ever in Jackson had. Ward where yes, you live now. Yes, uh-huh. the biggest pain in the ass neighbors I could have ever imagined. They have a cat that constantly is on our property, and when I you know I try to be nice, I do, and I err on the side of you know. Are good. I do think people are good. Even though we are flawed, we are good. Right. Anyways, I asked them what the stupid cat's name is and they tell me it's colonizer. I was like, Man, fuck you and your cat, you know? <laughs> I was like, no wonder I like your goddamn cat, you know, like, colonizer, get it out of here. Please, <laughs> like, please take colonizer out of here. So but yeah, I mean, you know, I I didn't really understand um, how deep colonization was until I started kind of Backtracking my roots, even and, and, and understanding. And we've all
1: been colonized, you know? Yeah, like that's for a sure. It's for sure. <laughs> I mean, that,
0: that is human nature, right? I mean, it's hap- we're happy. Hey, we don't hap- have
1: water. You guys got water over right, there? Here right. we come. Now yeah. we're going to fight you for that water because we all sure. want to survive. Yeah. And instead of let's see if we can get enough water for both groups of people out of this it watering yeah. hole, it's like, no, we're going to just take it and secure it. And uh, obviously, Mean, it, I mean, I'm not trying to take away from the w- power of that word when it is used in the, in the last, I- you know, basically in a reference to the last 400 years, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like, ever since I was a little kid, when I would get a book for Christmas, there was a book in the series. It would always happen to me. Somebody would be like, you like science fiction? Here, have book four in this, you know, series That's of, so you know, and I'm like, well, I can't read this. I need to find. Thanks. You know, I need to find book one now, right? Right. And I've been trying to find book one for the human species Mm. ever since I was a kid. Like, I got my first National Geographics and and got really interested in, like, anthropology Mm. and archaeology. And it's endless. You know, like, where do you say this is a fixed culture, this is a fixed language, Mm -hmm. this is a fixed people? Because, you know, the – Fossil record says that we were all like uh, emerged as Homo sapiens in Africa 250,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. That is a long ass time ago. Mm-hmm. And we were at that time, we are the same species now as we were then, but we're not the same genetic, like, you know, we got into isolated breeding populations mm-hmm. that we now call race. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's really only one race, it's the human race, mm-hmm. but we have groups of people that stayed in Africa. You got people that went up all the way over to uh, Australia, people who went all the way to Japan, people who went all the way up into Scandinavia, you know. But originally we were all one little tribe, Mm a little family of people, (laughs) and then we spread out. And so we have been – we started colonizing then. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't taking it from any other Homo sapiens, but we were messing with the Neanderthals and the Cro-Magnon. And those other species of humans mm-hmm. who really were a different race mm-hmm. than us, right. and we either wiped them out or assimilated them in the case of uh, like Neanderthal, they right. seem to think, but they're still that's kind of not hundred percent sure what happened to these other races of humans, that's you fascinating. know 'cause there were m- you know homo sapien the hum- homo part is human, mm-hmm. and then we are specifically smart human mm-hmm. you know smart I- or is it ape what' mean smart ape But uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. but um, but that's one specific species, and then, you know, we got isolated. You know, everybody got in their little breeding populations, and you know, and then developed cultures around that. But like all around the Mediterranean, after that, you get the Egyptians, you get the Phoenicians, you get the Greeks, you get the Persians. Everybody was back and forth across the Mediterranean, Mm -hmm. colonizing, or taking, or ripping each other off. However you want to put it including Europeans mm-hmm. who were just little tribes, Germanic mm-hmm. tribes and Anglo-Saxon tribes and Gallic tribes and whatever they're living all up there and the Romans came up and said, "Yeah, we'll we'll take that too." <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> and like made them and they made them all Roman citizens whether they liked it or not. And mm-hmm. if they didn't like it, they could live out in the woods still and whatever, but then they adopted the culture that was left behind when r- Rome fell. That's mm-hmm. what it seems to me and that's what like the dark ages Whereas, like, all of these different people living isolated, now there's no core mm-hmm. Roman identity, but there's still London, which was a Roman city, and there's mm-hmm. still Paris, which was a Roman city, and still Italy, and all those places. So people started taking, you know, living amongst the ruins and coming up with a different culture, mm-hmm. but following what they did, you right. know, like, this is, that was what was modeled for them. You get your, get an army together, and you go take... <laughs> You yeah. know it just c- it goes way back, and that's not to absolve anybody, but like w- you know we have to see what's in our nature before we can really change this, because exactly. you could go ahead and blame like white Europeans for it, but right. like it's obviously in everybody's DNA, mm-hmm. so if we can't address our own identification with that, we're not solving the problem. Right. That's where I've generally been coming from is like i the most of the rhetoric I see is very focused on some material, superficial aspects right. of this, what you call something. You right. know, like we can come we come with new labels every 10 years. Right. Colonizer. I don't even think I heard that as a cuss word until like in the last <laughs> five years, you know, Seriously. but I've been interested. I mean, I was listening to reggae in the 80s, like Steel Pulse yeah. and stuff oh like yeah. that. And nobody was calling out the colonizer. Then it was something else, you know, um,
0: we call it Bob ra- round heads know? or so something. bald heads. Bald yeah, heads yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah, for
1: sure. But yeah, b- and Babylon, obviously, that is a you know, that's a notion that goes you know, way the fuck back, right. you know, Babylon was a place, you know, it was mm-hmm. a big city. It was a place of like where sin occurred, mm-hmm. you know, and it was an actual geographical place, I think, in Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. you know, like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It yep. was an Assyrian where present day Iraq is. And in the Christian, you know, Old Testament, people would have to go to Babylon to cry out against their sin. Right. There was a new city called Nineveh that Jonah was supposed to go and cry out against their sin. But it represents also, I think, the r- the veil of illusion that the Buddhists talk about, like mm-hmm. where you lose the heart of what it's about and you get fixated on the, the story, the lie, mm-hmm. that manifests as a result of this thing that you're going after. You know, like, <laughs> I think most of the fucked up shit humans have done as a group has been the result of trying to solve a problem. And then they create another problem, you know. Like, how do we make, how do we transport tomatoes from, from California to the East Coast? Mm-hmm. Well, we need. To well, how do we even make sure that m- we get more tomatoes out of our crop when well, we spray them down with poison? You right. know, we breed them so that they last longer. Mm-hmm. You know, all of this stuff was to make sure we get the tomato to market. Mm-hmm. You know, but the end result was we're poisoning people and giving them unnutritious tomatoes and. You know, th- it's not. You know, and, and it's like a lot of ag- uh, agricultural stuff, it's not a very good pol- you know practice for diversity of mm-hmm. the various kinds of tomatoes. We can wind up with only one tomato, and then a rot hits those tomatoes, and we got no tomatoes. You know, think it, you
0: <laughs> know, th- I think it's it's funny you mention that. I'm not necessarily sure I agree that that it's the problem, rather it's the desire. You know, because we desire things. And we desire outcomes that then create more problems mm-hmm. and again we're we're a flawed species, so our solutions will
1: and we're the most only one that knows flawed, it you know? <laughs>
0: so yeah, how ironic um you know our our solutions oftentimes will be flawed if we don't you know really check and see the intent behind it, right, and all of the various um outcomes that that can spiral out of our control and how do we know what result? the intent
1: is everything it's that you difficult. or i am able to a- assess in another human being is something that we possess right you know oh like yeah. i wouldn't be able to spot it if i didn't got it For sure, you know yeah. it, it's like all all definitions reside within us mm-hmm. so if we're going to levy this label at something then our whole knowledge of that label is internal mm-hmm. it lives in us somewhere and we are projecting this <laughs> You know, are we getting bored, Sophie? Sophia? <laughs> no, <laughs> I just finished my thing. I'm making a gnome. So I that is, by the, by the way, that's beautiful. What is it? Um, I'm making a gnome. So You're I making a, so gnome? A, a gnome? gnome. Head, oh. like a gnome. Oh. It looks like a pretty good hat right now. <laughs> <laughs> <Cute>. <laughs> it I is, like it. actually. I that like
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> it. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah, she has become quite the... Uh, the professional knitter since quarantine started. She's even taught me how to knit. So it's it's been a neat little skill set that we have. So acquired.
1: I don't want to wrap this up now. And sure. I also don't want to have to, you know, because one of the commandments of ta- tantric conversations is I don't edit them. I just sort of try to adjust the levels and whatever happened, happened. So you see how the conversation evolved sure. and everything. And uh, But I want to know your story. Okay. <laughs> like cuz it, it it you know it begs it seems very fascinating that you you've had these you know dual citizenship i assume and um like
0: Sadly no dual citizenship which hopefully we will correct but it's it's a lot harder to attain Are you Mexican ironically, national or are you I was born in Texas like okay. the good Mexican American that I am <laughs> mm-hmm. and I remember the Alamo uh, Yeah seriously so born in Texas um ironically my mom Arrived in Texas as a result of uh, a mission group with her church. Mm-hmm. Um, I always joke my mom, but it's it's kind of true. They were cult members, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, my you know very evangelical. My my abuela was introduced to Christianity through Mennonites. Mm. There's uh, she wasn't introduced. I don't believe, although it, we're not entirely sure. But I don't believe she was introduced to Mennonites in Yucatan, which in Yucatan, there's actually a quite large gathering of Mennonites. So you can go to, you know, the market and see these blonde hair, blue eye, l- tall people because Mayans are short and the mix with Mayans. And you're just like mind blown. Like, what mm-hmm. is happening? You know, and they look kind of like, you know, how the Amish dress, obviously not exactly like that. But but you're like, yeah, something is is odd here. So. Uh, very interesting history of how the Mennonites made it to Yucatan. But, anyways, they made it, you know, they're of German descent, have their presence in Yucatan. And somehow, some way, my abuela was converted into uh, an evangelical through her. Like exposure. charismatic
1: evangelism, like that kind of like yeah, speaking in I, tongues. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So that's what I was introduced to as well as a kid. You know, it's how I, I was raised. And it's funny because I always rejected it. I mean, I always was in trouble at church, had to talk to the pastor's wife and, you know, I'm just one of those people who believes we all have our truths and our beliefs and whatever brings you peace, fantastic, but let it not harm others. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, I I was just always kind of in rejection of that upbringing, but yeah, so um was born in Texas. Uh, My mom Ended up divorcing my biological father. He, uh, Unbeknownst to her because, again, she grew up in a bubble, evangelical Christian. Mm -hmm. Definitely grew up in a bubble. Shows up in Texas. poquito
1: naive, maybe? Muy poquito. (laughs) (laughs) Mucho, mucho. Um,
0: But, yeah, so she shows up in Texas uh, through a church program. Somehow meets my biological father. And, um, you know, they get married. And unbeknownst to her he loved cocaine and Uh. so he he abused cocaine and um and so ultimately you know my mom she didn't even know like she was so naive didn't even understand what that was you know she Mm -hmm. would tell me the stories growing up and i'm like how did you not know that was cocaine mom what are you doing you know Mm -hmm. but she truly she never had that exposure And so, anyways, they end up, I think he ended up being, like, physically abusive. And so she finally divorced him. And um, she was working at a hospital. One of her coworkers at the hospital knew, or one of of the coworkers at the hospital um, was the sister, is the sister, of who is now my stepfather. So she invited, the coworker invited my mom to go pick up my dad, who I call my dad my stepdad, but I call him my dad pick him up from the airport. He was returning from um, Nicaragua where he had been serving uh, with the US government. Some mm-hmm. something he was you know, some operation in Nicaragua and, you know, the coworker thought it'd be cool because my mom's maybe in selling Spanish. Maybe to the to Contras,
1: maybe <laughs>
0: I would love to know. Trust <laughs> me, I would love to know. It has not been told to me. Right. Um but long story short, you know, that's how they, excuse me, that's how they met, and the rest is history. We ended up, I'm not sure how we ended up in Virginia, but we ended up in Virginia, I guess, probably because State Department. Were you in
1: Northern Virginia first? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: Northern Virginia. Yeah, I so thought you said
1: that. What, Falls Church?
0: Falls Church, you got it. So with that said. That's where
1: my people are from. Oh, too. yeah, no well, way. Well, my dad's people.
0: Small world it's it's almost unrecognizable even even today, you know. I go back and I'm like, "Okay, this is still different." So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, it's it's changed a lot, but with that said, my dad worked for the government and we would go, you know, we were stationed in Mexico and we would do two-year stints, come back two years. And so I got a really unique upbringing and that I was exposed to both worlds and um learned a lot, you know, because mm. even though when we would be in Mexico thanks to the US government as diplomats I still would stay with my cousins over mm-hmm. in you know what was probably a, a more ghetto side of Mexico City and what part
1: of was me- oh, Mexico City Mexico yeah.
0: City um Rio Churubusco area so it was it was not you know not necessarily the nice part of town I mean Mexico City is is super diverse mm-hmm. wealth wise um And also just developmental-wise, like I always said, it was very interesting here how, you know, you have clear clusters of of development here. It's residential, industrial, commercial. Where where my family was in the south side of Mexico City, you had – you know a warehouse next to houses next to a supermarket and uh, it just there was like no things were not zoned no, the way they it are. Was, now. it was very very vexing to be like wait that's a what that's a warehouse wait that's an industrial park and now these are apartments okay i got it hmm. um but anyways you know just exposed to a lot of culture very thankfully for that uh, very thankful i should say for that um so yeah, I ended up, you know, coming back uh permanently, I guess once I was in sixth grade for for, you know, middle school and high school. Uh lived in Northern Virginia, came to VCU, thought I was gonna play soccer. I I loved soccer. I lived, ate, breathed, everything was you know soccer for me football everything was football and then had my third acl surgery by the time i you know mm. i made it to college uh end up on the 12th floor of johnson hall on crutches hurricane isabel comes have to evacuate on crutches and i was just like oh man well i guess the soccer thing's over so i of course Isabel uh, uh, isabel's
1: like 2000 2001
0: four i believe four yeah 2004 oh, okay. right yeah because that's when i came to school i'm pretty sure it was hurricane isabel pretty sure
1: you might be right i can't there was uh, there was a couple of hurricanes i remember around then that were pretty
0: i mean it flooded downtown Mm -hmm. i mean that still sticks with me you know as i think about how they created that flood wall and and we haven't had to deal with it since then but
1: so the iron like there was before the flood wall there it would flood because of like chaco creek and everything overflowing and then after they built the flood wall there was Gaston. Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. And oh that yeah. was because the flood wall trapped the water. Oh, my god! It was trying to run off. <laughs>
0: There's that so double-edged sword, yeah. right? Yeah, trying so to solve stable. a problem, create another problem. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But I guess I, I need to backtrack and say that while I was in, in high school, I worked. I worked mm. almost full-time. Like Again, I was involved in FBLA, DECA, and really loved FBLA, business. FBLA, Future um, Business Leaders of America. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was – High type A, like super go getter, overachiever, but also very rebellious. Got suspended multiple occasions. Got mm. in fights at school. Uh, I never saw myself, and I'm not sure I see myself as being angry. Then I just had a lot of warrior energy that wasn't being um, channeled, and I didn't know how to channel it. You know, mm-hmm. again, I don't think it was anger. I never, I've never seen myself as like an angry person, but I had this like warrior fire brewing Mm -hmm. inside and i didn't really know how to channel and even even now i struggle because i'm not a very like sugarcoating you know person i'm very i can be very brash and brazen but at the same time it's not it's not out of anger it's just out of this like burning fire within me to like show people what i perceive to be as you know rights you know share that that and, and and defend those that are being oppressed, per se. So anyways, um, in high school, I I worked since I was actually 15. I had to get, like, my counselor to sign my work permit, my parents to sign my work permit. I would bike uh, down, you know, to my job, and I loved it. I sold patio furniture during the summer. Actually, when I got the job, I I was selling, we were selling Christmas decorations. So during the, the... Uh, I guess fall and um, winter time, it was a a fireplace store Mm -hmm. and a Christmas decoration store. And then it turned into patio furniture. Mm -hmm. And I turned out to be like the number one salesperson for uh, patio furniture. So I was making money. I Mm -hmm. mean, I was, I was young and making money and was like, hell yeah, this is awesome. And so that was my, my first taste of what money and power meant. I mean, I was like 16, 17 years old, bought my own car did whatever the hell I want. Basically, a lawless child, to mm-hmm. be honest. My parents had no ability to control me because it was oh well, well you're independent, I guess you know go you can't stay here. Okay, I don't need to stay here. I'll go do me, you know. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, you know, to be perfectly candid, um, my mom was dealing with severe mental illness issues, and it was kind of my my escape, if mm-hmm. you will, from from being at home. I didn't have to deal with. What sort of mental illness?
1: uh, Well, it started
0: with panic attacks, Mm -hmm. and then it turned out to be you know suicidal uh, tendencies and thoughts. And um, was it like
1: a bipolar kind of a thing, or
0: you know, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of manic depressive, or or yeah, definitely depression, and probably probably bipolar too. And I'm I'm not sure if we've like talked in depth about like what she was diagnosed with but I just remember many times coming back you know from soccer practice and being like oh where's mom shit we don't know where mom is where the fuck is mom where Mm -hmm. where is mom which hospital can she be at and having to call the hospitals being introduced to HIPAA so you know I I feel like a major reason I'm here today is because I had I was able to watch my mom suffer in this way and then took on the kind of the responsibility of being the matriarch of the family because uh-huh. I have a sibling. My brother's five years younger than me. My sister's ten years younger than me. And so even though I was very rebellious and, and loved to, you know, do whatever the fuck I wanted to do, I couldn't go to jail because I had siblings that really needed me, you mm-hmm. know. My mm-hmm. mom really wasn't – she was. She really wasn't there. I mean, and I. it's not uh, her fault. I've never blamed her. You know, she – it's something we talk about often. She still – of blames herself for a lot of these things, and I remind her it's just like we don't ask for cancer, right? If you're ill, you're ill. Are there thing? are there decisions we could have made and, and, and you know, things that we could have rectified in our past that could have prevented us from getting that deep into it? Maybe, but who cares? Because that's not what happened. All you can do is find forgiveness for yourself mm-hmm. and accept what happened and learn from that's it and right. grow from it. And so, it's still something that she's still. Honestly, deals with not nearly as bad as it was. I mean, I really give her utmost respect in how she's handled it. Um, and she's an amazing woman and, and obviously is the reason I'm here today. But, you know, so work was kind of like my my refuge. And I turned into a workaholic. I've always been a workaholic. But, you know, not to go too far back and then come back to, to college. Ended up in college. Third ACL surgery. You know, so here I am. Mom's, you know, in and out of you know, psychiatric words, and um, I'm used to having my own money, my own freedom, so that wasn't really new for me come, you know, come college. I'd already been drinking and smoking, but thankfully that's it, because remember, my biological father loved cocaine, so I vowed to myself I would never do it, and although I was around a lot of drugs, never did any of it. You know, I, I worked with people who partied hard, I mean, I would, I was like 16, 17, getting super drunk, you know, during a school day, school night, throwing up profusely and then going to school the next day, you know, but never did I touch the drug. So thankfully, just kept it herbal and kept, you know, with the alcohol. Uh, Yo, know, that is a drug, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, just so is my, socially so acceptable so is my yeah. coffee, but, you know, right. I digress. <laughs> So end up at VCU, go Rams, go, and that was because <laughs> I lost my scholarship to UNC yeah. Wilmington oh, uh, yeah. thanks to my third ACL surgery. That was pretty much. Oh, you going to uh, play
1: soccer down there? I
0: was. That was that was the coffin or the nail in my coffin, I should say. That third one. And, you know, the first I m- after the first one, I made it back in five months, which is incredible. ACL, MCL, um, ACL, MCL, medial meniscus, lateral meniscus tear, and my left I knee. I had that one. Made it back in five months, which was like insane if you really think about it. And then,
1: so you got no cartilage in your knees, yeah. Now. These
0: knees yeah. are, I mean, they're they're Get holding up well, though, yeah. you know. Uh, but then I got, you know, within a month of coming back, I tore the right, le- the right knee. And so, and then by the time I made it, actually, I came to do a, a walk on, uh, tryout. And I don't know if that's when I tore my ACL the third time, but somehow, someway, toward again, and by the time I was in college, I was on crutches, mm-hmm. so that's how I came to VCU, and um, I was like, oh, I'm not going to work when I get there, you know, I've been working so hard, I'm just going to, like, experience college, like, hell yeah, like, it's going to be great, and um, within a month, I got a job at, at Pizza Hut over here on Grace Street, because I was like, I need to do something with my time, I, you know, I didn't know what else to do besides... That's work. not
1: there anymore, is it? It's no, where the Chipotle is now, right?
0: It is. It is, yeah. and and actually, Kava is there too, which mm. makes my story that much more ironic because I ended up actually introducing Kava to Richmond. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> and now Kava is where my former employer was. But Pizza Hut was awesome. I was a delivery driver. Was like, I had my my you know what I have? I had a Volkswagen Jetta with tinted windows and eighteen-inch rims, and I drive out <laughs> to like North Side deliver pizza. You know, like. Uh, hey yeah you want your pizza here you go you know i'm <laughs> like in hindsight i'm like my boss was fucking crazy allowing me into like some of the places that i went to mm-hmm. like holy shit what, what what all by myself five foot with money two, yeah money on you. but i guess he he knew i was a warrior because i never had any issues let me tell you not or he didn't once care yeah, probably. <laughs> not once did I have a problem. Not once did I feel threatened. Not once did I feel safe. So, you know, I mean, it just goes to show that energy bubbles or guidance from the universe are, are true things. Because we know, you know, there's there's dangers <laughs> everywhere, right? And I never experienced it. Because this was back when crime was huge in Richmond. And yeah, other and drivers would have issues. And I never did. And I was like, all right, I don't know what you're all talking about. I don't have any I issues. I want to put
1: a pin in that right there because that's a thing that – and I'm I'm marking down that we're at Pizza Hut here Alright. on the tablet because I want to pick up your story where you left off. I – because I grew up in Churchill and there was a lot of crime and there was a lot of, uh, you know, me getting beaten up and getting things stolen, I have really come to believe that there's always going to be crime. There sure. always is crime and we need somebody to stop, right. you know, the crime or I need to deter or whatever. But – you know, when I think of like the vast majority of my life, I've lived in neighborhoods like that, and I've really been victim. Very little, I mean, should have been none. But the vast majority of the people there really were just trying to live their lives. Right. You know, and the majority of the crime was perpetrated by teenagers that are just trying to, you know, like r- push the envelope, rebel a little bit. You know, be bad. You know, and I got sucked up in that stuff too. And I had to say, maybe you know, rough neighborhoods have been, this is part of the systemic racism, obviously, Mm -hmm. that, like, you know, the assumption is all of these neighborhoods, every single resident in these neighborhoods is going to, you know, so therefore it needs all of this, you know, oversight by the police, and they need to be there all the time, and, like, but really there's, you know, the vast majority of the people there are, have a community, they like, looking out for each other, like, living in peace and harmony. I mean, I lived on a block, and the lower east side that was run by dominican drug dealers they sold coke and heroin from four from 7 p.m to 4 a.m every day they had lookouts up and down the street you know my my apartment was essentially inside their marketplace Mm -hmm. you know but they they looked out for they didn't want any other shit going on there to attract undue attention (laughs) so you know they looked out for everybody around there they basically like you know they kind of functioned as a uh, for lack of a better word like kind of like warlords you know for and sure. like some failed state because the lower east side i mean manhattan was almost like a failed state there in <laughs> the wild, 80s yeah. and 90s but like you know i was safe i was always safe in that neighborhood like it th- you know they'd see me coming, they'd call me you know that w- their little call out would be joey That's so funny, you know because yeah. that, that meant a white kid's coming down the street That's and he's hilarious. either a customer or you know who knows but yeah. like but, you know, nobody ever threatened me. Nobody ever messed with me. Nobody ever uh, stole anything from me. And I, I've always lived in neighborhoods like that. And, yeah, early on I had problems. But, like, that was really probably the kind of ki- problems that happened to kids in any neighborhood. Sure. You know, getting beat up. And I mean, now my parents' house got broken into. But Well, the irony maybe in,
0: in what you're saying is that growing up in Tyson's Corner, Falls Church, where I grew up, our house was broken into. Right. And totally ransacked. And our bikes almost every summer, if we left them outside in the front yard, got stolen. So it's, like, so vexing. Like, what do you – I don't understand. You can't escape
1: it. Yeah,
0: no. So, you know, I come to Richmond. Everyone's like, oh, be careful in Richmond. Don't go to this neighborhood. Don't go to that neighborhood. I'm like, man, my bike's already been stolen my whole life. You know, my house got robbed. Once you feel that type of invasiveness, Mm -hmm. it kind of hardens you. You know, you're like, whatever. And you you come to understand that everything you own – should be perceived as not permanent. It's not permanently ours. What is the only – there's nothing permanent. This idea of permanence is a
1: complete bullshit. Right, and 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 trying to hold on to those things. um, The the last podcast I did, which was a year ago, was with this guy Daniel who's a farmer, and he told me this saying that the farmers use – it's like when you're planting seeds. It's like one, one for the rook, one for the crow. One to die and one to grow. Yeah, I like and like that. you know, you're only twenty percent. You know is what you can expect. You know, and that's just in life. Right. You know, and there's just no, there's no situation where you're not going to lose stuff. You know, like you can't be attached to those things, mm-hmm. especially not over people. Right. You know, and I honestly, you know, have, have until all of this was going on, I basically saw. The police overall is protecting and helping everybody, but then I ultimately like w- have to like kind of wait a minute. Let me like look at this from a different angle, and see that like, well they're pr- they're really protecting the people that already got shit mm-hmm. from people who don't got shit. Right. That's ultimately their goal. You know, because they it's don't an really. Illusion. Right. It's,
0: a, it's an illusion. Absolutely. And, and my introduction to that. illusion. And some of them
1: are, are really out t- to just have an excuse to bust. Right. Fucking heads. Well, they're the, right, they're
0: yeah. the b- you know, the bullies that we had right. in school have now, you know, grown up to be cops. Right. Oh, joy. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know when I first came to Richmond and I had some cop run ins, I learned that, A, all you needed was a high school diploma to become a cop in the city of Richmond. Right. That's not that long ago. How long have I been here? 16 years? So there's there could potentially be plenty of people in the force that, you know, only went to high school, okay? And boom, how much training do they get? Who knows? But when I, when I moved out of the dorms and onto Monroe, I was at Monroe and Broad, uh, that building right there, I was chased one day by presumably somebody either mentally ill or on drugs. I'm not sure which one, but somebody not in their right state of mind, I was chased, like somehow got into my apartment. No problem. Call the cops because that's what you're trained to do. Holy shit! You feel like your life's in danger? Call the cops. Call the cops. Nonchalantly comes over. Okay, well, there's nothing we can do. We're not here to right. serve you. We're here to serve the public. And I'm like, well, what the fuck does that mean? You're not here. To, like, I, my life. I just right, saw like my somebody life came up with these fucking eyes, laws you know? <laughs> for a reason. But it's,
1: like, you know, it it really is the biggest like crock. And I don't like. I don't want to talk about it. Like straight-up abolish the police and all that kind of shit. Because I don't fucking – I don't buy anything like that. Like simplify it down and then like get rid of it. Because anything that's simplified like that, it's just a paper tiger. let's be real, Curtis.
0: It's a negotiation tactic, okay? Okay, They're coming in. You're coming in. We're coming in asking to abolish the police because let's remember, it took fucking riots to get them to even hear us, okay? For years we have been working – at, at city council meetings, we've been going to neighborhood meetings, and by we, I mean I have plenty of activist friends that this is what they've been doing day in and day out, putting in the work, trying to get Marcus alerts, um, trying to get uh, uh, neighborhood – or what is it? The citizen review boards, you know, like – I mean they, they've been putting in the work, and they've been getting rejected left and right. So we understand how right. negotiation works. We're going to come – with something
1: you come with an extreme and then, and then you they're you gonna get to push in us the down, middle. Right. Yeah.
0: So so that's that's what uh, that's it's That's a good be. thing.
1: And and like I'm not against the principle behind this. I'm like I just you know, being a complex person, the lens I look at everything is it's complex. Absolutely. I don't fit in any box. None of this yeah. shit fits in any boxes. Nobody fits in a box. Um, but I do recognize that negotiation tactic. But more and more I recognize also that like you know, this the the people made laws. The laws that were so fixated on enforcing for some people and not others and whatever, were laws made by s- some individuals that wanted some specific stuff. And it really had to do again with controlling mm-hmm. things and obviously the f- you know fear ab- about what's going to happen after the Civil War and like what's going to happen. You know nobody's going with the best. You know that these are g- everyone's good human beings. They're all going worst case scenario. What's yeah. going to happen? Don't erase our history. You know.
0: Don't and erase it. <laughs> and it's not, you know,
1: like that ain't, I mean, it is, there are aspects that it's my history. There's aspects that it's not my history. My argument about that stuff is like I feel like you're putting your energy into a paper tiger and that that energy could be so much better spent on immediately helping another person. Every bit of energy put into spray painting something or tearing something down could be used to build something, to build the alternative. Mm-hmm. That's That's been my argument is like fuck those things ignore like build an even bigger thing that eclipses that Mm -hmm. That like but you know that is now a ship that sailed but that was always my my position is like you know whatever you resist persists so I don't like that's a slogan I believe that like Mm -hmm. when you're resisting a thing it's like magnetic resistance Mm -hmm. you know you're uh, lending your energy to that thing and you're locked into a relationship with it Mm -hmm. so like the whole time for instance I was resisting alcohol i was locked into a relationship with alcohol uh-huh. you know it was i, I was thinking about I was still obsessed with it you know. i wasn't drinking right. you know and it was the thing that 12 steps shit taught me was like no you got to take that energy and put it into spiritual development sure. take that energy and put it into fellowship right. take that energy put it into helping another person suffering with what you're suffering sure. with don't spend your time bitching or fighting alcohol don't spend your time fighting the fact that alcohol is a legal drug that Kills people and blah 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 build you gotta build something else right. you know that's what I had to Con- do I had to build another right
0: in versus destructive right. Right. right and
1: and so you know i also i had to admit my confusion with what's going on now is and even has been the dialogue of the last ten years or mm-hmm. so is that I grew up post civil rights you know nineteen seventy was when I was born mm-hmm. in Churchill. And the thrust from that point all the way through, like, what the stuff that was attractive to me, whether it was James Baldwin's writing or John Coltrane's music or Tribe Called Quest's music or, you know, reggae, or w- whatever it was that was drawing me, was that these people were making a much more attractive culture mm-hmm. to me than the one that I was genetically supposedly connected to. Mm-hmm. That I wanted that. And they were also saying, fuck this bullshit mainstream american culture Mm -hmm. you know like public enemy who gives a fuck about a goddamn grammy Mm -hmm. that's the kind of shit they said they're like most of my heroes don't appear on those stamps you know like that kind of shit like it's like fuck that let's let's put the energy into showing what is you know powerful what is strong black is beautiful you know black is powerful all of that kind of that was the goal you know black panthers nation of islam Mm -hmm. you know building a separate Nation within, you know, the African National Congress, yeah. like mm-hmm. building a separate nation, something that could ultimately become more powerful, or equally powerful, right. or whatever. And it's like it, it is almost to me as if that's vanished, and now it's all like, no, we went into that. We went into the mainstream. We want to be recognized at the Grammys. Want to be recognized at, at the Academy Awards. And I'm like, fuck that! Sh- why do you?
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I if I could I don't say, I'm I'm <laughs> not nec- necessarily sure I agree. I think actually, I I don't I, I don't think I agree. I which think with which part? With them wanting to be incorporated into the mainstream. I think. But you
1: hear that uh, uh, the hashtag Oscars so white or. You know that well kind of personally. Thing, I, I don't I would, hear it
0: because like, I, I you're don't not follow on social media no, like that. Okay? N- I mean, I don't do any hashtags. I don't I don't follow them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not all. saying
1: that's wrong. I'm saying I've noticed a sure. switch of like what's done with the energy. So if I if know? I
0: could express real quick, I don't know if I can do it quickly, but the way I see it is you're gonna have folks in the movement who have their ego spiral out of control and want to be seen and heard in these powerful ways you right. know words but who the fuck cares about awards mm-hmm. you know honestly like what do those things even mean i mean so so there is this whole like we want to be seen and we want to be heard and we want to be acknowledged but i think part of it, i think part of it actually stems from just wanting to be recognized as humane and equal right and really you know i think
1: you're um, like 10 years younger than me right I was born in eighty
0: six. Yeah, so yeah.
1: sixteen years younger than me. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so I mean, I th- I think actually what what I see and what I hear is that they want to, you know, black people want to s- be seen as equal. They want to have equality and by and who? Equity. So
1: just for like, let's just by picking this apart. Yeah. Who are they asking to recognize them?
0: Everyone. Everyone. So mainstream. Non-mainstream individuals, collectives, corporations, stop using cultural appropriations to make money off of them. Give them a chance to make money for themselves. Mm -hmm. Because, look, let me tell you what happened, right? We desegregated, okay? And you look at my neighborhood, Jackson Ward. Folks in Jackson Ward then got to go shop wherever the fuck they wanted to go. And and Maggie Walker and had they created they went right away from Right, right. Maggie Walker had create will help create along with Saint many other Luke's entrepreneurs
1: savings, yeah.
0: a community that fostered black business black investment black community and as soon as desegregation happened it was this <gasps> oh we can go wherever we yeah, want and White i understand store, it right. yeah i understand it what was once off limits is now available to you so fuck yeah you're going to go and the better it. stuff
1: must be there you're going
0: to go try right. it right yeah right. And, and and who knows what what is better right yeah it could it could have been marketed to them as being better but what happened was well just in
1: any any fr- uh yeah like uh, prohibition just right. makes it that much more attractive, exactly, you know? exactly. Right.
0: And so what happened was we saw the beginning of the siphoning, right, of resources from Black communities. Mm-hmm. You look at ninety-five. Ninety-five was purposely built, constructed to right. separate and destroy. Well, I think Black it, community.
1: I, I, so you know, these are the kinds of things that that's obviously what happened you know and i also think it happened because there was any anybody that could fight it but it was also because that's what linked up you know like what well with what was already there you know and I mean like
0: sure but but there's but many there's multiple ways to communities
1: right uh, i mean the rma the richmond metropolitan uh, authority the expressway mm-hmm. that we call it colloquially right wiped out a black neighborhood which was m- you know kind of bird park randolph mm. kind of area which i don't i think it was at that at that time mm. and um same thing happened in U- navy hill for both 64 and the coliseum and i would say that yes the definitely the sentiment was like I, I think the people who were in charge were like well we don't live in the city anymore we don't care right. what happens to the city right. and the people who did care didn't have any voice and they weren't able to stop it right. and and, and I don't, I think the end result's the same, (laughs) you know, regardless of what the intent was, you know. My grandfather was on the board, the Turnpike board that built that, you know. And like, he he thought it was the thing that was going to make the economy better for Richmond, that 95 came, they wanted it to come right the fuck through the middle of Richmond because they thought it was going to bring so much more business to Richmond and that would be good for everybody, Right. right? And these kinds of decisions are still fucking being made, you know. LeVar Stoney wants to build the thing, the n- another Navy Hill project that's right. supposedly going to benefit the city so much. But first, a whole bunch of people got to lose. You know, all the people who've been struggling to make downtown something again got to pay more taxes to pay for this project because theoretically they're going to make money in off it in the future. Right. I mean, again, uh, maybe I'm talking semantics. The end result's the same. But my grandfather had a business down in uh, the Chaco Valley called Rico. And while 64, which is what linked to 95 to 95 was being built, there was a big rainstorm and the runoff went right into his factory because all of, and he was, you know, he was basically hoisted by his own petard. You know, he wanted this going through here to benefit his business, but actually his business was jacked and he had to, you know, basically had to take a 50% pay cut to keep Mm. it open. But, you know, it's, this is another thing, solving a problem, causing a problem and, and it, and because of desegregation, white flight. So the only people left living in the city to be affected by these things are black people who have taken over th- these neighborhoods and made them their own and built communities in them. And then, I mean, just down here, Fulton Bottom, same thing. You know, there were there was a, f- a neighborhood down there, and it was bulldozed to make way for a sixty-four off ramp and in an industrial park. They almost did Churchill. I don't know what me why my like. <laughs> My desire always is to like get at why this could happen based on what would motivate me or you mm-hmm. so that we can really understand it so that we don't demonize it and say these were evil people, you know, that came and wanted to hurt other people. Because if if that's what we believe, then we have we are unable to spot how we continue to do it. You know, if we just say, oh, these were awful, selfish people that just wanted to fuck over specific people, mm-hmm. it's much more likely that they just weren't considering those people i think
0: there's (laughs) a very simple answer the ego
1: yes and and, and
0: ego is such a powerful i mean i remember trying to explain to my child since like three years old what was ego holy shit try to explain a three-year-old what ego is i don't how
1: would you define it now sophia would you like to tell us what ego means to you you can get on the mic to to keep on doing something like urges you like um like peer pressure sorta. But it's internal peer pressure. Yeah, that's good. Good job, baby.
0: Thank you for sharing. But you know ego ego just it can take over. Mm -hmm. And if if your society and your economy propels
1: all you're thinking about is your glory, ego, right? Your yes. power and glory. Right? Yes.
0: How can I grow my business to serve me? Okay. And then after me, how can that help my employees? But first me, mm-hmm. right? Got to pay myself first. And everything ultimately revolves around how it affects me and my reputation and me, 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 my reputation. And I mean, i am huge into the individual i think I think it's very important to respect and honor the individual, but again, w- you also have to remember the underlying current is that we're all connected, right. so sure, be your individual self, but do it in a way that is But that's an illusion
1: that the ego is constantly R- right. you know reinforcing that you're separate for sure but you but in the
0: ego cloud's reasoning it clouds right. the ability to to it, it clouds clarity clarity is so important you know we talk about decision making and we talk about solutions and and defining problems how the fuck do you do that without clarity right you know there's certain things i always ask the universe for and clarity is always amongst them mm-hmm. clarity mm-hmm. wisdom guidance protection yeah you know because when I asked for guidance and protection, I went it even against my own ego. Yes. You know? I mean, look how I came in today. I I don't have an ego, and yet I still find myself straightening my hair from time to time. You Is your hair straight? Like, maybe a little uh, bit right now. Yeah, I can uh. get pretty wavy. Um, but, you know, I like to think that I've checked my ego immensely. I mean, being a professional poker player will we'll – especially when you're starting out, will make you check your ego in an instant because one day you're hot shit, you got thousands of dollars in your pocket, and ten minutes later you ain't got shit, and you're sleeping right. in your car.
1: Right.
0: You know, and so you learn, and, and also you have sleepless nights. You know, any, any norm that ever was there, if you're a professional poker player, you're not going to have it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a sacrifice, and one of the sacrifices was the ego. Mm-hmm. You just learn that it's all big picture you know it's a marathon not a sprint kind of thing and so what who am i
1: you right. know
0: what what am i i'm just in this for the long Th- and time, that is so. humility right sure sure yeah and chucking and your ego brings about humility and ego
1: is not in itself like having an ego this is the back to the balance thing that we started this podcast with this is my understanding it has a purpose you know it, it's you know, if we didn't have it at all, we don't get out of bed in the morning. We don't respect it it yeah. Self-respect it's self yeah, for sure. I, I tend to I mean, I'm not talking about conceit. I'm talking about like will. Sure, right. Absolutely. And the will to live, the will to achieve, the will to feed yourself, the will to procreate, the will to build shelter. You do all of those things. That's there. That's a natural part of every human being when it's a problem is when it becomes out of balance and it's kind of like the devil on your shoulder telling you it's all about you, you know, and like screw everybody else. Like I'm going to get mine. My mother used to say, I was like, I got mine. How'd you make out, you know, that I would, you know, just grab my, my share of the food and walk away Mm -hmm. instead of like contributing to the meal or whatever. Um, and so, you know, we have to like, we can't, in order to like put the ego function in its place, we can't shame it because then we're shaming a part of ourselves, and then mm-hmm. we're at odds with ourselves. we got to say it's like a child mm-hmm. that like it has a parti- – you know, it, it gets too big for its britches and it needs – we need to gently keep it in its place because there is a consciousness within all of us mm-hmm. that's even able to address the ego mm-hmm. and say, no, I'm not – I don't want – the you that's asking the universe is the transcendent you right and like the the me that's that is constantly in dialogue with my petty (laughs) qualities and my selfish qualities Mm -hmm. that's the person that's the consciousness i'm trying to align myself with Mm -hmm. because i've got this petty consciousness that's just sort of like the crew chief Mm -hmm. you know he's kind of like the pit boss that's you know thinks he's the you know the head honcho but just gotten out of balance you know but it's you know i i tend more and more to try to go what is the will like you said, big picture that has gone it has been going through living things that that like formed the first peptide chain in a pond of goo mm-hmm. sometime, you know, so many millions of years ago that led to the first life forms on this planet and those life forms, you know, died off, evolved and whatever, you know, gradually became a fish that crawled out of the water and then yeah. <laughs> became you know eventually became you know a a mammal eventually became you know homo sapiens Mm -hmm. what was driving that like there's some will in there and there's the will to survive but that i think is also there is the transcendent consciousness that we actually all just have a little piece of Mm -hmm. that the Mm -hmm. indians call atman Mm -hmm. like the one soul Mm -hmm. you know and it's like a big body of water and we're all little we can all get a mm-hmm. little, get some poured in our glass, right. and <laughs> you know. But when we, d- you know, the ego is what clouds us from our relationship with that shared consciousness. It's like the local consciousness mm-hmm. versus the universal consciousness. Right. I would liken it to a computer, you know. Right. Like my my iPhone has an operating system on it, mm-hmm. you know, called OS 10 or 11 or whatever the hell. But it can also connect to the Internet, mm-hmm. you know. And like my ego is like the operating system that kind of runs the thing. But then my spirituality is like my connection to all the rest, you know, of the knowledge that is that is in the human animal, you know, the collective right. unconscious, all of that. So it's kind of like getting the that you say the ego clouds your access to that right. and it gets very fixed. It's like it's just about me. You know, you own a house. I own a house. So once you own a house, suddenly you've projected, you've ex- you've expanded into the house. Now the house is you. Mm-hmm. So whatever happens to the house happens to you. Right. Whatever happening around the house is happening to me. Mm-hmm. Like, so now your your house next door is shitty. Well then you're messing with me personally with that shitty stuff. Now I don't like you because you're devaluing my m- my house, the material thing that I've now decided is a projection of my ego. Yeah. And like how we find that balance here because we still got to buy a house we're still gonna do that you know but we ca- i mean as soon as i bought this house i found myself driving around this neighborhood going can't wait till all the houses in this neighborhood are nice That's and so what am funny. i talking about <laughs> actually you know
0: You're so funny. I, I just say i'm over here laughing laugh talking because <laughs> i'm like i'm i think i'm the total opposite yeah you know because it's it, you know my neighborhood has been it's it's been changing immensely since I've lived there. I mean, I moved to Jackson Ward technically in 2005, Um, so 15 years. I mean, it's, you know, even though I don't necessarily live there full-time, right, uh, I have been there my whole adult life, basically, and I've just seen the gentrification Mm -hmm. and seen boarded buildings, you know, become shells of retail space or you know extremely overpriced uh rentals that's really the movement in my neighborhood and so i'm i'm kind of like the opposite i'm like man yeah i, don't I like th- i like the character that it used to have right. like what's happening now now you know it's really funny let me tell you something curtis one observation i'd like to put on the record is that ever since my neighborhood has been gentrified there is a lot more lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. There really is. I, it's the weirdest thing. Like
1: Awareness of what? Like The neighbors. Yeah.
0: Neighbors. Neighbors are, and in, in I guess what I have um, told myself, you know, reasoned with myself is that.
1: There you have it. Hour two of Ashley Smith O'Mara. I hope you're enjoying it. I honestly don't remember very much of it. I hope it's good. Is it good? Let me know. Um, got two more hours to come. I hope you are uh, finding ways to enjoy and appreciate your lives now amidst the pandemic and all of the other wildness that's going on and recognize how good we truly have it. I've been enjoying a lot of uh, my own I've been enjoying my home a lot. I've been having, making myself lovely meals. I've been nesting. I've been, oh look, I'm working on a fucking podcast. Feeding the soul. I also got a goofy little project uh, where I read a one minute of a book on TikTok. I'm a lot of fun on TikTok. There's a lot, of, a lot of interesting shit on there. It's not all girls shaking their asses to wop. Uh, I've been learning a lot about carpentry, <laughs> cooking, and uh, politics and stuff. It's very interesting to see that uh, there's a real diversity of opinions about where we're at in this country, and it is not drawn along the color lines. There are lots of black people who feel very differently than liberal white people do about what's going on and how it needs to be done. So, anyway, I digress. Uh, that website still exists, and I use it mainly. The www dot oh my god, that's so old school. com still exists. Um, I mainly use it just for the RSS feed, and this is going to uh, iTunes still, and it goes to Stitcher, and it goes to Spotify, and there's still a place on there where you can make a PayPal donation to Tantric Conversation. So you should, <coughs> if you should. So choose, man, she sells seashells by the seashore, something like that, oh y'all, namaste, I'm out before I do any more damage here.